0: All right, Jessica, welcome to Outside the Studio. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, My name is Tessa, listeners, dear listeners. I am the host of Outside the Studio. Most of you probably know that, but if anyone is new to the podcast, welcome. Thank you for being with us today. I'm very excited to have Jessica Falcon on the show. She's got quite the journey, quite the story. She's going to tell us all about it and how she got to where she is today. I'm going to give you a brief um read through of her bio and then we'll dive into our our questions and our conversation. So Jessica guides women to embody their power, know their boundaries and reclaim their voice so they feel free to fully be and express who they are in relationships. Despite being a criminal prosecutor with a feminist mindset, this is something I really want to dive into with you, Jessica, is a, just the word criminal prosecutor. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm intrigued. Jessica still found herself in the throes of an abusive relationship. An expert advocate for everyone else, it was nearly impossible for her to put to voice her innermost feelings or advocate or stand up on her own behalf. She, she came to realize that most of what she experienced was deep subconscious programming about how we as women are supposed to love. Oh, I mean, I could so resonate with that. Um, it's deep. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to, I mean, there's more, but I want to pause there and just say that thank you for bringing voice to that. I think so many of us can resonate with that, um, in, in the world that we grew up in, at least I should speak for myself growing up with like this fairy tale idea of a knight in shiny armor coming to, um, provide for me and protect me was Mm -hmm. this kind of like underlying unconscious idea I had throughout childhood. And that played out in my teenage relationships and some of my early 20 relationships in a big way. So that's a topic I definitely want to touch on. Um, And it assumes that we need to be rescued, right?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, this is
0: kind of exactly. This is kind of like the mindset of mm -hmm, that. Like we don't even realize we have, at least for me, it seems like for you too, as a young girl growing up, um, you know, throughout the eighties, nineties, early two thousands of like, why did I think I couldn't take care of myself? Mm -hmm. That was bizarre, right? Or maybe not. Maybe that's the message we got culturally. So last little bit here. Now coming to present day, Jessica helps women distinguish between true love and the false forms of love we have been conditioned to accept. Doing so requires accessing our feminine roots and remembering our ancient sovereignty, which existed before the soul of women, woman was denied, Her book, Prosecutor, Prostitute, Priestess, what a great name. I'm going to say Mm -hmm. that again. Her book, Prosecutor, Prostitute, Priestess, to be released in 2022. Congratulations. That's such a huge accomplishment. Bridges ancient feminine wisdom with her modern day journey. I cannot wait to read your book. (laughs) (laughs) So in private sessions and workshops, Jessica helps women radically reclaim their self to know freedom and love. We have a free gift to you, which I'm, which I'm going to share in the show notes, but I will just say right now, um, the free gift is uh, five powerful questions to ask yourself. Um, it's a short little five-minute uh, short video that's going to help you kind of navigate is it true love, how to figure that out, and, and Jessica will guide us through that. So I'll include that stuff in the show notes, but without further ado, Jessica Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your time in advance. Um, yeah, where do we even start? Gosh, I (laughs) so
1: much juiciness for us to dig into.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. So um can we go back to that first? Let's let's kind of go back in time, peel it back. So you did you start your career as a criminal prosecutor?
1: I did. Yeah. Right out of law school. Okay. Um, I had actually been working for a women's nonprofit, uh, called the wage project for women are getting even, uh, for, uh, equality, like wage equality all mm. through law school. And she had offered me a job and I was, you know, so excited to do that work. Cause the reason I went to law school was to help women. Mm. And then I had a bunch of stuff happen with my family and I ended up moving, um, back down South. I was in law school in Boston. And when I started sitting for the bar exam, everybody I talked to was like, well, if you do policy work now, you don't start litigating, uh, you can't ever get into litigation later. And I thought, oh my God, I'm like 25. Do I really want to limit myself for the rest of my life? And not be able to litigate or be a trial attorney of any sort at any point. And I also realized at the same time that the work I was doing with the wage project was stuff I could have done before law school. Mm. And uh, so I started looking for other work and kept being told, you know, the DA's office, the district attorney's office was the best place to get trial experience. Little did I know I would end up being this, you know, bulldog in a skirt criminal prosecutor for almost seven years. Um, I just kind of initially assumed, I'll just do this for like a year or two. I'll get some trial experience. And then, and then I just, I got, um, I got really involved and I became really successful and I loved the challenge of like taking these big cases to court and speaking in front of a jury and the, the mental focus and attention to detail and big vision it required to do that work. And really, um, and this actually ties into, I think, a lot of the, what I discovered later in life. Um, I really identified actually with victim consciousness and I, So as a result, I really, really wanted to give voice to victims. I really wanted to give voice to um, people that didn't have one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I really wanted to stand up for people who had been hurt and harmed. And that was a passion of mine since I was a little girl. And so it, it, it really fulfilled something in me to do that work.
0: So you touched on something that uh, I think is such an important and big topic, which is victim consciousness. And you said that you identified with that. And I think that speaks to what you have in your bio that, you know, you still found yourselves, you were advocating for a feminist mindset, but you still found yourself in throes of um, abusive relationships. So can you tell me more about for those of us that maybe don't know exactly what victim consciousness is? Can you expand upon that a little bit? Mm-hmm.
1: I know the term is thrown out a lot. And so there are probably a lot of different definitions, but my particular, the way that I look at victim consciousness is is when we forget our power.
2: Mm.
1: So it's when we start to allow the external reality to dictate our inner reality. When we forget that we always have a choice, even if it seems like we don't, we always have a choice of how to respond, how to feel how to think what to do, even if it feels like we're put in a box. And that was really hard for me to accept because I have lived through a lot of trauma and I've lived through a lot of situations in which I, I felt like I was in a literal box and had no way out. And I wanted to be a victim. Like I really wanted to be victim to that circumstance Mm -hmm. because being victim to it justified my anger. Being victim to it justified my grief, and being victim to it justified um, me being the one who was harmed and not the harmer.
2: Mm.
1: Mm. Um, And it's 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 a very deep, complex topic, which we could probably spend hours on. But the short of it for me was, um, I don't want to jump too far ahead. But when I later ended up in an abusive relationship, I part of my healing had to be letting go of that myth of being a victim. And it doesn't mean that he wasn't perpetrating harm against me. And I think that's where we often get confused Mm -hmm. is that we tend to think, well, if I'm not a victim, then that person's not the perpetrator and nothing bad is happening. And it almost creates a sense of denial sometimes of the reality. Mm -hmm. And there's a different definition of like the legal victim and like, being a victim, right? So in the legal context, victim is somebody who's harmed. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're talking about, and I think the question is the victim consciousness, which goes much deeper, I think, into the spiritual realm, into the emotional realm, into the physical realm of how am I identifying myself in the situation? And what power am I able to or not able to access in that?
0: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah. Go ahead. Well, I just, I think it's really interesting that like the legal definition is the, you said the cause of harm or harm has been caused, mm-hmm. but victim consciousness denotes that there is mental harm. So how are we, then it's kind of like, well, how are we defining harm? You know, right. is, does it have to be you, in, a, in a court of law, I'm sure you have to be able to prove it. So there has to be some sort of maybe physical evidence of this. This has to be proven, right? So mm-hmm. how do you prove th- that like a psyche has been harmed and, and the consciousness or the internal voice that we tell ourselves as a result of the abuse is something that we've internalized and taken on as our own voice when it's most likely not our own voice. It's somebody else's voice telling us we're not good enough. We're Um, not worthy of love. You know, we can't do X, Y, or Z because we're not smart enough or capable or whatever it is. Like oftentimes that's not even our own voice, right? Right.
1: It's internalized. Exactly.
0: So how did you, was there a moment where you kind of stopped and said, whoa, this isn't me or this isn't the way I have to live my life. Um, I want to make a change. How did you dig yourself out of that or pivot or, or make the change out of this victim consciousness?
1: It definitely was not overnight. Um, It was a journey. And I don't think that I mean, yes, there's instantaneous healing, but I don't think that we generally collectively or individually come out of victim consciousness very easily (laughs) because it's something that we tie into our identity, right? So I, I, I identified as a victim and it was very hard for me to let go of that identity because it earned me certain favors in the world. And it, and it gave me a sense of comfort and safety, ironically. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and again, we could go way into that, but um, we'll I'll kind of move past that and keep going with the the question. So, uh, I think the turning point for me in my relationship was, and trauma warning, <laughs> and this could be potential mm-hmm. trauma warning. Yeah, thank um, you. Was that I um, I had come home to find my, he was my husband. I'd come home to find my ex-husband in the throes of wanting to kill himself. And he had drunk, this was like two weeks after we got married and he had drunk like all the leftover champagne and, um, cider from our wedding. And, um, he was threatening to go jump off a bridge and then he reached for his father's knife. And then I was like throwing knives out the window and I was trying to like, um, stop him from killing himself. And I was acting out of like instincts, which was usually to instinctually help others and to protect others. And so he started running toward the wall with a knife facing his stomach. And I ran after him and I kind of reached for the knife And then I realized that I got cut, like my hand got cut. And he, of course, stopped before he got to the wall, because I don't know if his intention was actually to kill himself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, my finger was like gushing blood. And I went in front of the sink and I was like running all this cold water over. And then I ended up calling his family and I was living in France or Belgium at the time. And so I didn't really know anybody um but I called his family and I'm like I don't know what's happening uh please come help and they were a couple of hours away and they were on their way they came they talked to him and um you know, of course they were like, he wasn't like this before he met you. There's definitely a lot of like blaming and familial family trauma going on there. Probably. Mm -hmm. I mean, then she talks to him, his mother talks to him and she's like, Oh, don't worry. He swore on his father's life to like, never do this again. And like, that was supposed to be it. But nobody, I realized like nobody ever looked at me and asked if I was okay.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Like nobody ever uh, thought of me in that situation. And I was the only one injured. Mm -hmm. So I tried to save his life and I was harmed. And it really dawned on me in that moment, like, wow, like what about me? Like, what about me? Where did I go? Why is everything about him? And I started to, that was the moment I started to go, oh, I have lost myself. Like where did this independent bulldog and a scared criminal prosecutor go? Like, where did I go? I had lived on my own. I had been very successful. I had been financially independent. And then suddenly I couldn't find myself anymore. And that's when I started to wake up to like, what's going on and what are these patterns and what am I experiencing? And, and then it was the journey of, of coming out of that by separating how I felt from how he felt and starting to take care of my own needs and starting to see myself through my own eyes and not his eyes. Um, and that really is the turning point. I think when we begin to turn our eyes inward and start to see ourselves through our own eyes, through the eyes of our heart, through the eyes of our soul and not through the eyes of others, that right there starts to shift out of victim consciousness into that internal power that we have to access to move through those situations.
0: Mm-hmm. So this is such a, it's such an important topic and I don't want to gloss over it. And I also want to understand because I, we talk about these things, you know, and you're describing it like this moment where you had this internal dialogue, internal R- realization, maybe almost like a dark night of a soul. And don't let me put words in your mouth, but I'm wondering a couple of things. One, do we have to come to that dark night of a soul to have that internal recogni- reckoning? Do we have to hit rock bottom? Um, And two, once you have maybe this initial awakening or realization, to me, it feels like doesn't it kind of take a village? Does it take many different tools in your tool belts? You know, and I'm sure it's a different path for everyone and it's not linear by any stretch of the means. And it's definitely not binary. It's not black and white. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I think about like all the women in my life who have been on these healing journeys and who, who are still on their healing journeys and who continually kind of Um, feel like maybe they fall down and make a mistake or make a regression or choose the same partner over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, and I think like, what are all of these tools that we need to gather to help us get through this and remember who we are and reconnect to our soul self and, and start to um, build that positive self-love internal dialogue there's so many different practices out there, right? Like yoga is one. Um, I know you're passionate about yoga as am I, that's been a tool for me. That's been really healing. There's so many other modalities that are um, helpful for this healing process. So, so that's a really long <laughs> question. I And it's definitely a two-part question. So I'll pause there and let you Mm -hmm. decide how you want to answer.
1: So I'm going to answer it in two
0: parts since it was a
1: two part question. And the first is, do we have to hit rock bottom and go through the dark night of the soul? And I don't think we do, but it's up to us to choose before that point. And so many of us, um, in the society that we live in tend to push self care and soul work and healing work aside until it's necessary because we don't live in a society that prioritizes that. We don't live in a society that prioritizes the soul. And, and as a result, we tend to wait until it's necessary for myself. Um, and this is all part of the book, uh, so I won't give too much away, but I, um, what I experienced with my ex-husband was absolutely essential for my soul journey. And that mm-hmm. might sound crazy, but I had dreams of when I was going to meet him on the day I was going to meet him. And the whole time we were together, I knew that I was releasing the karmic bonds between us. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I was rewriting the story of my lineage and relationships. Mm-hmm. And I knew that what I was learning and gathering from being very conscious throughout the relationship, even though I was still battling all of these inner things that it was meant to help other women in the future, which is why I do what I do now. Like I knew that that was the purpose of what I was experiencing and every woman in my family, as far as I can go back also experienced abuse. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing a lot of deep ancestral lineage healing through that relationship because I did my best to address it from a soul perspective and not just run away.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If that makes sense. It um, does, yeah. So my, so my, my rock bottom um, was still traumatic for me. <laughs> um, and I, I, I think I, I don't know that my soul would have let me do it any other way personally, because that was part of my path to offer what I offer now. Like that was part of my path to awaken to certain, um, forms of conditioning that I feel I can help other people unravel that are so unconscious and so subconscious that we don't even know we're there. So we can't apply tools to them if we don't know that they exist. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and what got me out of it, which I think is what I hope to help other women do before they hit <laughs> Romano, is is the tools of the body, the tools of the soul, and it might sound a little radical here, but the tool, tools of the goddess, mm-hmm. the tools of the divine feminine, which until I began to return to my feminine roots, until I began to access this ancient sovereign woman, the goddess, I This is going to, again, sound really radical, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to be really radically honest here. I started to be visited by goddesses, um, certain archetypes. Um, some people call this archetypes to me, they're more than archetypes. They're energies that actually exist. Mm -hmm. Isis and Inanna and Magdalene in particular. And I really feel like these women, these goddesses, this ancient, powerful, divine, sovereign woman, that they are here now to help us move past the barriers that have been put in place. I believe that they are here now so that we as women can rewrite our stories and no longer submit to the false forms of love that we've been conditioned to accept, being silencing, serving, and submitting. And these women worked through me and have helped me overcome and heal on deep, deep layers. And I believe that when we access that ancient sovereignty, that is our birthright. That's the tool. That's the tool to, to remember. It's not about learning to love ourselves. That's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, like self-love. I don't like the term because it, it, almost sounds as if we have to go get that love and bring it in, or we have to create that love and, and we have to love ourselves like it's a verb.
2: Mm.
1: And for me, it's about accessing the love already inside of you. The love that is in the trillions of cells that make up who you are. It is about accessing that love in your heart, in your body, in your cells and bringing it through to every aspect of who you are. So, it's a being. It's an accessing. Love is receptive when it comes to quote unquote self love. Mm-hmm. And so, when we start to access that love inside of us and pull it through us, we are love. There's nothing to go get. There's nothing to do. There's nothing to obtain. There's nothing to try. There's no mental effort involved. It's a being. Mm-hmm. And then we choose to share that love. We choose to be and share that love, but it's a state of being. And when we start to see ourselves through that lens, we start to access the depth of our divinity in the here and now in our physical form. And when we access that, we can use that to bypass the conditioning that we've been fed about who and what a woman is supposed to be and how she's supposed to love and rewire our, our brain through heart consciousness. So I believe we have to do the heart work in order to do the mind consciousness work, Mm -hmm. because we tend to try to do the other first, but it leaves us in this mental spiral. And I feel like we don't have to go through that spiral.
0: We don't have
1: to go through that. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. (laughs) I'm wondering, what do you think of, how would you define doing the heart work? How would you do that work? Where Mm. would you start?
1: Yeah. So that's, as part of what I guide women through. So again, it's a journey. It's not necessarily um, a one step you're done, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but a very simple practice because often the beauties in the simplicity right
0: absolutely <laughs> so a, a
1: very simple practice is to drop your awareness into your heart place your hands on your heart because our energy and our attention goes to where we we place our attention so placing our hands there brings it there and and start to feel into what exists underneath your hands start to feel into that heart space start to feel into what is there and then ask or intend to feel that love open your heart to the love that is there and just sit and bathe and, and feel the heart and you can talk you can ask like I'm listening. Tell me what you want me to know. I'm here. Show me what you want me to see. I'm listening. Because we have to create that receptive state and a connective state to receive the wisdom that is rightfully ours, that is always there. But we're just usually not accessing it. We don't know how, but it's really simple. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. This is something that I've, I've worked on. It's, it's um, the, you know, tapping in and asking myself and being open to receiving messages from the seat of the soul. And I find that that voice is so quiet as compared to the voice that, you know, really is chattery and loud in my head. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so are there strategies that you that you study, that you understand, that help people regain that connection to their inner voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the the tenets of
1: of my work is helping people access that inner voice because mm-hmm. it is hard to hear. It is it is not the loudest voice. <laughs> sometimes it is, like
2: mm-hmm. you know. In
1: many ways, sometimes it is right when we start to really develop that relationship. Like mm-hmm. it can be very very loud. Mm-hmm. But often, especially, especially at the beginning, but even when we're in states of confusion or we're in states of moving through trauma or um, shifts in our, our consciousness, it can become harder to hear. Mm-hmm. And one is just practice time mm-hmm. and consistency, which is. Um, because there is no quick fix when it comes to soul evolution right there is no quick fix when it comes to redefining these massive paradigms on our planet right <laughs> that we've been doing for thousands of years so it's the practice the time and the consistency but it's also i think for me it's it's pulling that soul through into the rest of our being so that it encompasses every part of us So we tend to segregate like the the heart and the mind and the womb and the body. And we tend to kind of put them in categories and access one at a time, which makes sense, right? That's what the mind does. But when we can start to, to pull, like if you're in that heart practice, start to imagine that that love is coming into your heart. And then literally flushing through the rest of your body. Like that love moves through your legs. It moves through your toes. It moves through your arms and hands and fingers. It comes up into your head so that that love, that essence of who you are, encompasses your mind. It is your mind. Your mind is not separate from this beingness of you. Mm-hmm. And then when we start to consciously pull this aspect through us and let it pervade us and become us, over time, there there starts to be a unified voice. And over time, the mind starts to align naturally with that heart. So it's about, it's not one or the other, the mind or the heart. It's about integrating and aligning the thoughts with the heart. So for example, to make this a little more tangible, (laughs) um, if I have a recurring thought, like say you have a recurring thought, um, Mm -hmm. bringing that thought instead of what we're often told is to try to get rid of it, right? We're often told to try to um, overcome it. We're often told to try to rewrite it, to say affirmations that are the opposite, to do the mental work of overcoming a recurring thought. I would actually suggest, and what helps me, what's helped me for many, many years now is bringing that thought down into my heart mm-hmm. and actually witnessing that thought and being with that thought. And that can be through journaling. And it could be through literally looking at the thought on a piece of paper or sitting with a thought, but holding it in my heart. Mm. And what, what are you telling me? Why are you here so much? You're like this visitor, right? So like, tell me why you're here. Why are you visiting me? What Mm. is your purpose? And what I've found is that most often those thoughts are trying to keep me safe Mm. and protected even if that means keeping me small it's trying to keep me safe. Mm -hmm. And so if I can bring that to my heart and hold that thought in love and have deep compassion for that part of me that has that thought, right? Like have deep compassion. Like I went into a little bit of fear this week um, around, um, the pandemic and certain things that I'm experiencing and witnessing, and I went into some yeah. deep fear. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah. I started to feel really out of my center, which is not usual for me. Like I usually feel like really centered and really anchored. And I started to really find myself feeling like kind of more nervous, definitely more fearful. And I could feel my thoughts right going. Mm. And at first for the first, like Two days, I was trying to ignore those thoughts and just kind of let them ruminate and let them circle and let them do their thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, wait a minute. Like, I'm not feeling anchored. (laughs) And I started to spend a little more time with this fear. Right. And the fear, like the existential fear we all have right now is we're going to die
2: Mm -hmm. or
1: we're going to get really sick or. Um, what's happening with the world? And it's really easy to focus on those fears. It's so easy, right? It's so yeah. easy when we're all going through this collective trauma, however you define it, however you look at it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: to go into this mental thoughts and to bring it to our heart. And I brought it to my heart and I brought it, and I said, okay, like, ooh, what is really going on here? Like what, what am I really feeling? And for me this week, it was, oh, wow. Like I am actually struggling with how to feel safe and anchor into my power right now because I was, I was focusing purely on the fear and forgetting the invincibility and depth of my soul because what sovereignty really is is sourcing love from within and sourcing safety from within and sourcing power from within and i was getting outside of that i was coming i was becoming separated from that source of safety within me and mm-hmm. focusing on the mental fear of physical or bodily harm but that was taking me out of my core out of my anchor into my soul's truth and it doesn't mean that again, this work can be complicated. So I'm not saying that there aren't real fears. Like there aren't real realities. I'm not talking about like spiritual bypassing or like all is good. And it's all purple and rainbows all the time. But like, how can I source safety within my soul, even in the face of death? Mm. How can I source safety within my soul, even in the face of this fear?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Because I am not limited to physical form. I exist way beyond physical form, as do you, as does everyone else on this planet. The problem is when we lose sight of that, right? So an ancient myth that, I, that really helped me actually heal from not only this abusive relationship, but um, come into my divinity was the ancient myth of Isis. Mm-hmm. And in the myth of Isis, who is the Egyptian queen of heaven and earth, there are different versions, but one of the versions is that Her lover, Osiris, was killed and mutilated by their brother, Set, because he was jealous and rageful. Mm. And he put his body into 14 different pieces. He threw it in the river. And Isis was grieving and grieving and grieving for the loss of her lover, her partner, her equal. And so she went searching for him. And she was in the boat, and she was going through the river, and she was looking for all of these pieces, and she was able to find a lot of them. And she tried to put his body back together again, um, and then he was actually killed again. So then she's she's going around the city, and she's, and she's mourning, and she's mourning, and she's mourning, and she's lost in her grief. She becomes a beggar. She had been the queen, right, and she becomes a beggar and everybody sees her as this beggar and she's in all black and she's ripped holes in her clothing and she's beating on the drum with her grief and she's destitute and she's nothing. And it wasn't until she remembered her divinity. It wasn't until she remembered that she is not limited to form, that she began to free herself from the suffering Mm. She began to, she had an epiphany of a moment when she remembered her goddess nature. And it was that moment that all suffering went away. Mm. And there's so much beauty in that because I, myself, I grew up suffering, right? I grew up grieving over the world (laughs) and, and things that I experienced. And there's a lot of that right now. Mm -hmm. And it would be so easy to get lost in that suffering. It would be so easy to get lost in grief and rage and anger and pointing the finger and all of these things. Right. And, and the reason we're in the state we're in as humanity is because we've lost sight of our soul Mm -hmm. because we have lost sight of our divinity. And so getting lost in the grief is not necessary feeling the grief is necessary. Mm -hmm. Acknowledging the grief is essential to move through it and move past it, but staying in it and living in it and suffering only perpetuates suffering. Mm -hmm. And when we remember and touch the divinity of our soul, the sovereignty of our being and pull that through into our body and into our voice and into our actions, into our work, into our beingness, that we're no longer locked down by the forms around us. We're no longer tied to suffering. It's not possible because you're able to step outside of it and you're able to see above it. And you're also able to be in the darkness and always feel that light, no matter what. That's the, te- that's the secret of the ancients. You always keep thine eyes toward the light. Always, always. That's the
0: key. That is the key. Hmm. Hmm. I have chills. <laughs> <laughs> my the hair on my arms are it's standing up. Um, <laughs> I just well, I've always loved story and myth, and um, you know, ever since I was a little kid and learned how to read, it's been such a solace, uh, a solve for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know, as empathic as I am. And so many others, you know, Jessica, I feel like your kindred spirit in this it's, it's so you're right. It's so easy to get lost in the suffering of humanity and, and this collective trauma we're experiencing. There's so many things that we can easily lose ourselves in fear Mm -hmm. and feel guilty about or shame over in terms of like, what have we created? What kind of world have we created for the future children, you know, the future human race? And is how, how long is humanity going to last in this form at the rate we're going, I wonder, often. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I so identify with that, um, getting uh, stuck in the fear story, the stuck in the fear loop. And um, yeah, but what a nice remembrance of, to yeah the soul is eternal and when we become attached to the physical form of our bodies we lose sight of we do we lose sight of the soul which is eternal and and formless and transcendent so yeah go ahead
1: well I really want to tie it back because I feel like this is this is coming up really strong inside of me right now I really want to tie it back to the beginning of the conversation and violence against women and how this how this actually ties into that Mm-hmm. And this actually tied into my leaving victim consciousness, because because you can't be goddess and victim at the same time, right? <laughs> yes. Right. So, um, when I, I can speak to myself and from many many women that I've talked to, when we're in abusive situations, it is that fear loop that keeps us there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? So it is the fear loop that keeps women. In whether you call it abusive, whether you call it toxic, I call it false love because when you're in it, you don't know it's abusive necessarily, right? When you're in it, you don't necessarily identify it as toxic, but it is the way we've been trained to love, right? To put others first, to give, to please, to make happy, to serve, right? All of these other things. So it's a fear loop. We fear not belonging. We fear not being safe or our safety if we leave, and we fear not being loved or lovable. Those are the three core fears that keep women looped in these false forms of love, right? And these, and these toxic relationships. And when we, as women, reclaim our soul and reclaim our divinity, we can no longer be held subject to these relationships. And that I tie into the myth of Adam and Eve
2: Hmm.
1: because that story that I call it a myth, because that's how it was written according to historical documents. Um, That myth was written with the very clear intention. This is something that is in my book. And that I've studied for many, many years now. So I could go way into this, but I'm going to give just a short bite (laughs) for the sake of time. Um, That story was written with a very clear intention of denying the divinity of woman. Mm -hmm. And it was written after women had already been sovereign, already held their own bank accounts, already been priestesses in the temples, already been queens. This story was written after that period with the very clear intention of denying a female divinity. So at this point, prior to this point, there had always been a male and female divinity. Suddenly, there could only be a male divinity. And woman was no longer of God. She was of man and for man. This belief system is at the root of violence against women. And so when we as women remember our divinity and reclaim the goddess, reclaim the feminine as divine, we can no longer be subject to the control of one male god who prefers to keep us beneath, right? Because abusive relationships are really about power over Mm -hmm. when you know your own divinity, when you reclaim your own soul, it's always power with because you are in your power and you refuse to not be Mm -hmm. because you know that it is your inherent right to be the goddess that you are, to be the divine woman that you are, to be the soul, that has every right to exist, every right to be here, every right to take up space. There's no more denial of our power, but it is the denial of our power as women that we are now holding onto so deeply and so subconsciously we don't even know it's there. And that, that is what we have to bring through and reclaim to end violence against women and to then know true love, conscious love and relationships. Because that's Mm -hmm. what we want. But in order to actually have that, we have to unwire, unravel from this deeply embedded conditioning that denies the worthiness of our own soul.
0: So I think my, my question, or as you're saying this, is the things that are coming up for me are how, okay, so, we, so let's say we've recognized we're in a, a, an abusive relationship we're starting to turn inward we're starting to regain our internal power acknowledge our own divinity what is the next step you know it, we we want relationship where we are connected A humanity connection is key to our sur- survival and and romance and and love and relationship it's all vital to who mm-hmm. we are how do we know what that healthy balanced power with relationship looks like when all we've ever known is the opposite? How do we build it? What does it look like? What does yeah, it feel like?
1: That's a beautiful question. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like we begin to know that and feel that because our soul begins to show us, mm-hmm. right? So it's no longer about us figuring it out. It's no longer about us... Um, needing it to look and feel a certain way. There's no mental parameter for this Mm. partly because that hasn't actually been experienced for thousands of years. Right. So there's no roadmap. (laughs) And, and also because when we reclaim our divinity, that divinity then begins to direct every other part of us, which means we're so in tune, right. With that voice, with that divinity, with that soul wisdom and soul knowing that the goddess begins to work through us and show us the way that's been my experience. And, and that, that soul, we know, like, we know, like when we're in tune, we know right away, like, this is not feeling good. Like this is not feeling equal. And it's listening. It's attuning, it's listening. It's, it's, it's creating the conversations and the communication that allows us to pave a new way. But it, And here's the mistake I ran into. I thought my ex-husband was like my twin flame, right? I thought I had a voice tell me he was my soulmate the day we saw each other. And I saw the light in his eye. And I was like convinced he was my twin flame, which actually is what kept me beholden because I kept thinking that we were going to work through what we needed to work through. And then it was going to come to you. But the the problem is that generally as women, we tend to do the work for the man. That's part of the conditioning. Mm. And we forget That they are also soul and sovereign and divine, Mm -hmm. and that they have to agree, make that free will choice to do the work. They have to agree on their own. They have to have that own desire to do the work. So it's possible for the woman to come into that knowing first and to initiate those conversations and for there to be change. Of course that's possible, right? But only if he's willing to come into his knowing, to do the work, to take his half of his responsibility. Because so often we tend to be like, well, I'll do this and I'm here now so I can lift you up. But that is not the feminine. The feminine doesn't lift others up in that way, right? That's trying to do the masculine work for the masculine. Mm -hmm. So he, his soul has to be recognized and he has to make that choice and he has to do his half. And those conversations aren't easy. It requires learning how to talk through conflict, learning how to sit through difficult moments, learning how to honor your own boundary more than the mental need to have what you want. Hmm.
0: Oh wow, (laughs) so good! I want to go practice it right now. (laughs) Um, Jessica, I could do this. I can't believe we've already been almost talking for about an hour, and it feels like maybe five minutes. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I feel like I could talk to you all day, Um, but I want to be mindful of your time. And uh, I, I think the last question I want to ask you is if. There, you have so much to say, you, you know, you have such a, a powerful message and voice. And I'm wondering if there's any, any last thing you want to share, any key takeaway that you want listeners to really remember.
1: I created the free gift because I feel really passionate. It will help women identify the kinds of relationships that they're in. So there are actually five questions that are in a PDF. And I think those questions are essential to ask yourself because those are the questions that got me out of unhealthy relationship patterns. And I feel very passionate about us needing to ask ourselves those questions in any relationship. They're not as applicable to a brand new relationship. Like if you've just been dating somebody for a couple of weeks, (laughs) because, um, like, for example, safety and trust and those kinds of things that I ask about, and I give specific examples to think about in those questions, Um, you don't have that in two weeks, right? You're not going to have that level of safety or trust in two weeks, no matter what. Um, But I'd say three months on, say, in a relationship, or just things to consider going into relationships. Those questions are things that um, not only have I spent years thinking about, but also are what saved me. And... I really I really would highly suggest accessing those. And then uh, the video series are like super short three minute long videos that talk about the five fundamental aspects of love. And this is the true love that I feel we need to understand what the false forms of love are, but we also need to understand what true love is, right? Because if we don't know what we're going into as like your other question was like, how do we know what we're going into? So here's what I think we're going into. I'll just, I'll name the five aspects love sees love hears love honors love is both and love is freedom mm. and i go briefly into what each of those are but that's from ancient text that i gathered that and it's also from lived experience and teachings that i received from the goddess and love is freedom is the one that i feel the most passionate about and I'll end us with, with this. So imagine that you have, um, one whole circle. That's one whole being like, that's a soul. That is a divine being whole and complete unto themselves. A woman who belongs to herself. She knows she is worthy. She sources love from within. So she exists unto herself. And then you have another being, just for the sake of this, I'll say a man. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And he's able to come into that on his own. He's able to come into his own knowing of his own worth, his own sovereignty, his own soul. In a divine right, free, whole, loving relationship, these two beings would consciously choose to interact And they will not merge completely. So often in fairy tales and love, we tend to imagine that we merge completely and we become one, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's what we're told, what we're supposed to happen, that we're told that that's love. Like we we're actually told as women to lose ourselves in love, Mm -hmm. right? And that's not free because we just disappear. And then we become for the other and we no longer exist. So, Whole free love is those two beings choose to consciously merge. And if you're familiar with the Vesica Pisces symbol, Mm -hmm. that's what it becomes. So you have one whole circle and another whole circle, and they meet in the middle. So each one remains whole and complete unto themselves. And yet they have chosen to create a third, the relationship. Mm -hmm. So there's no one or the other. It's both. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Both whole both their own soul, both individual, both complete, and yet choosing to share their love, which means you have freedom to be who you are. You have freedom to be who you are. You have freedom to live your own authentic truth, even in a relationship. And that's a game changer, right? But so often we want that, but we don't know how to create our own wholeness. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We don't know how to be our own whole circle. That's what I work with with women. Like, how do you be your own whole circle so that you can actually have that conscious relationship you seek? Because we can't have it if we're not being it, if we're not reclaiming ourselves. We can't have that. Mm -hmm. So we have to remember that Vesica Pisces symbol. Meditating on that is what led to me leaving that abusive relationship. Mm
0: -hmm. What a powerful story, Jessica. I really appreciate you sharing. So vulnerably, and open and powerfully, your story with us. Thank you for the free gift. Um, I'm gonna do that right now as soon as <laughs> I let you go. I haven't done it yet.
1: Please give me your feedback. I really would love to know.
0: <laughs> I will actually, yes. Thank yeah. you. And and on that note, where can people go to contact you, to connect with you, to find out more about you? So
1: um, the path to sovereignty.com is the website. And that's also where you can sign up um, either at the link, the special link, on it for a free gift or on the website itself. They give you access to the questions and the five short videos. And I have a Facebook group called Embody Your Sovereignty. And I give weekly uh, kind of support videos, advice on there. Sometimes do kind of like live activations in the Facebook group as well um, Instagram, the path to sovereignty, Facebook, the path to sovereignty, and otherwise just send me an email, Jessica, the path to sovereignty.com. I really love to just connect with people and hear your stories and see how we can work together. If there's anything I can help you with. And, um, my, my sole mission, like this is not a business for me. This is like my sole mission mm-hmm. to help every woman embody her divinity. And, and what that looks like is different for every woman, but I, I really want there to be like this love revolution on the planet.
0: You know, where <laughs> we yeah. all,
1: we all really embody the love that we are and we share that love rather than thinking we have to do something to earn it or be it or become it. And mm-hmm. just learning how to access that it's so, it's so eager. <laughs> it is so eager for us to access and what we're going through collectively. I just know I know we're going to come out of this, but we're going to come out of it in a very different way than we've gone into it. And it is going to take time. And part of what we're going through is urging us to access this part of ourselves that exists beyond the experience we're all having right now, Mm -hmm. because that accessing will be what shifts the experience.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm, I love that. I so resonate with that. Well, like I said in the beginning, I'll put all of the links and show notes so that you, listener, can connect with Jessica. You can ask yourself those five powerful questions um, from the Path to Sovereignty and join the Facebook group and connect with Jessica one-on-one. Um, Jessica thank you so much I really appreciate you and all the work you're doing for us thank you.
1: thank you it's been a lot of fun I appreciate you Tessa and it's just a joy to share my passion so I love the opportunity so thank you
0: <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the conversation today if you have any feedback comments questions or even requests for future podcast topics Please feel free to reach out to me on the social media handles, Facebook at Tessa Marie Tovar, Instagram, yogi underscore Katniss, um, email address tessa.tovar, that's T-O-V as in Victor, A-R at iCloud.com. I love to hear from my students and I'm always happy to talk about this kind of thing for you. If you don't listen, I don't do this. And my goal is to spread the word about what yoga means on and off the mat. In particular, spreading the word outside of the studio. Thanks for tuning in and have a lovely day. Bye.